In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should take, be taken over the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, Yezi belonged to the house line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to David, to him, and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth in the, and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And while and shepherds there were and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. They were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all of the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those who favor his rest. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what had what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Well, Merry Christmas, good morning. And can we give one more thanks to God for Sadie for her reading of the message this morning. My husband, Brandon, has been co-teaching the confirmation class recently, and on the first day of class, he asked this question that I thought was really intriguing, and he said it broke the ice, and it really got the students talking and interacting with one another. And so I thought that since we are celebrating the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we're all getting ready to enjoy Christmas, that maybe we could take a little bit of an informal poll amongst us this morning. Um, So show of hands, who here waits until after Thanksgiving to decorate for Christmas? That could mean after Thanksgiving dinner or the day after Thanksgiving. It doesn't matter any time after Thanksgiving. Okay, look around the room. Okay. And how many of you do not wait to put up Christmas decorations until after Thanksgiving? Anybody? One person, two people, three people. Okay, there's a few of us. 
I have to be honest though, this year we put up our Christmas decorations during the first, or I'm sorry, the second weekend in November, which was actually a little bit late for us. We are usually sort of a first weekend in November type of people. We can't wait. We love the Christmas season. We love the lights. We love the decorating. So the people who did not have their hands up when you had your hands up this morning, That's the person who I want you to go and talk to after the service this morning because I think that you'll have a lot to engage and you'll have a lot to talk about. If your experience is anything like Brandon's experience with the confirmation class, I think that you're in for a real treat when you have that conversation with one another. Let's pray. Holy God, we are thankful for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for a season that invites us to celebrate your birth, a savior for the world, and to anticipate the powerful ways that you move in and through and among us. We open our hearts to you, God, as we receive your love today and every day. Be with us in these moments together and speak to our hearts. We pray all of these things in your holy name. Amen. There was a study in 2017, some of you might have heard about this, that found that people who decorate for Christmas are statistically happier. The study found that the dopamine boost associated with decorating for Christmas helps to elicit feelings of childhood and anticipation and joy and excitement around the holidays, and um, it can counter some of the stress and anxiety that kind of plagues us during this time of year. So if you were one of the four people who had your hands up, congratulations, you're statistically happier. In other words, preparing for Christmas gave these early participants in the study more time to connect with their inner child, and it made them feel happier and more joyful throughout the Christmas season. Without fail, this study will make the rounds on social media every single year during the Christmas season. And because I am pretty widely known amongst my friends and family, and now all of you, as being a person who decorates for Christmas early, I usually will have at least one or two friends who will send me a link related to this article every year. During this Christmas season, during this Advent season, we have been exploring the Advent themes through classic Christmas movies. We learned about the power of redemption through a Christmas carol. We learned together about the peace of a new heart as told through the Grinch. And we explored the true meaning of joy with scenes from It's a Wonderful Life. And you might have guessed from the scripture reading today, or maybe from my Christmas sweater, that today we are going to be learning about the power of God's love through scenes from a Charlie Brown's Christmas. The film starts with Charlie Brown telling Linus that he just can't seem to get into the holiday spirit. Something must be wrong with me, Charlie Brown says. I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel. But how are we supposed to feel? 
Are we supposed to embody all of these characteristics that we've been studying together throughout Advent? Hope-filled, peaceful, exuberant? Are we meant to be particularly participatory? Are we supposed to feel more especially generous or selfless during this time of year? And then what happens if we don't feel those things? The reality for some of us is that the Christmas season isn't always filled with delight. Even if we do decorate early or if we have a list of presents that we plan to buy or we have plans to see our relatives and friends, Christmas can still feel complicated. This season doesn't always live up to our childlike memories or expectations. Sometimes it feels like the more Christmases we have, the more challenging they can become. Sometimes gift-giving feels more like an obligation than a joy. Sometimes staying in can feel so much easier than going out to see family and friends. And sometimes we mourn those who are not with us during Christmas time. Sometimes the demands to create a perfect season or a perfect day or that perfect holiday card can just carry entirely too much weight. I remember one year when merely bringing the Christmas tree upstairs and putting the decorations on it just seemed like an insurmountable chore. The passage in Luke that we heard this morning, it's one that's well known and probably the favorite of all of the gospel tellings of Christ's birth, and that's why we tend to read it every single year. And even though it's a passage that we all know well, and some of us might even have memorized, I think we tend to kind of gloss over the first part of that reading to get to the good stuff, to get to that supernatural encounter, to get to the stuff that's really comforting to us. But in doing that, we can miss something that can help us to wrestle with some of these conflicting feelings that we might experience during this time of year. Listen again to the beginning of Luke 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. Caesar Augustus was the emperor of the entire Roman world. In the story of Christ's birth, we usually hear more about King Herod, but being familiar with the Roman Empire adds a richness to the story. In his time, the emperor um, determined who mattered, who held power, he determined where the subjects would go. It's interesting to note that in his time, Augustus was hailed as a prince of peace. And he was considered a savior for the Roman world after bringing a long period of war to an end in the Roman Empire. 
Under his reign, the economy was booming and Rome was becoming more and more modern and sophisticated than ever before. This was a period where history saw a rise in arenas and amphitheaters and public baths and political and artistic forums and a systems of roads that ran through the empire, as we've all heard, all roads lead to Rome. Despite his polished public image, though, Augustus brutally eliminated individuals and groups of people who he perceived to be enemies to himself, either personally or to the empire as a whole. He achieved this supposed peace throughout the Roman Empire by suppressing human rights and demanding submission to an authoritarian government. This was a peace that was only achieved through oppression, fear, and coercion. The purpose of the census was to collect taxes of all of the conquered people from around the empire. So a very, very pregnant Mary and a very tired and sore Joseph, poor, weary travelers were insignificant in this sea of people traveling to their ancestral homes to register for the census and pay their taxes. On the surface, it would seem that Augustus Quirinius, Herod, the empire, hold all of the power. And yet we know that there is another more powerful and more mysterious hand at work in the midst of all of this. It is against this backdrop in the humblest and most unlikely of circumstances that our savior for the whole world our Prince of Peace is born. The, pre- the peace that he brings will come not from military might, but from justice and mercy. He will rule not with coercive force of an empire, but with the power of a selfless and self-giving love. Now, we may not live under this type of occupation, and many of us will not face oppression in this way. But we do live in a world that is dominated by other, smaller empires that demand our attention. These little empires might seem so insignificant compared to what we just learned about, but they are nevertheless real and real to us. The world demands wealth, job titles, social status, possessions to feel that we are successful, and of course, purchasing the perfect Christmas gifts, making sure that the house is cleaned and decorated for our guests, and attending annual company Christmas parties, and fulfilling all of our traditions year after year to feel that we have earned the right to happiness in this time of year. My friends, this is exhausting. This is exhausting and far removed from the hope and the peace and the joy and the love that is offered to us through Christ Jesus. 
Our preparations are not meant to be endless shopping and scheduling and commuting and obligation. Our preparations are meant to be of the heart. Uh, Several years ago, there was a blog post, maybe some of you have seen it, about how Linus drops his security blanket during his telling of the Christmas story. If you've seen the film, you know that Linus carries his blanket around with him everywhere. In fact, it never leaves his hand. He is never without it. Big sister Lucy even tries to get him to abandon his blanket for the Christmas play, but he decides to incorporate it into part of his costume instead. The next time you watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, pay attention to this moment. Right in the middle of uh, reciting Luke 2, when Linus says, fear not, in verse 10, he drops his blanket. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. The implication of this simple moment is that the birth of Jesus has the power to separate us from our fears, if we let it. The birth of Jesus frees us from needing to carry around our security blankets, whether that is a financial security blanket or a social security blanket or a health security blanket, whatever that little empire of our security is, the freedom offered to us in Jesus invites us to new life. Christmas is about letting God's perfect love cast aside these fears, knowing that God is with us no matter our circumstances. The birth of Jesus empowers us to drop the blanket to live not in the power of empires or wants or desires, but to live in the power of God's love. It frees us from all of the fears, the bad habits, the false trust, and the insecurities that we cling to. And it invites us instead to learn to trust in and cling to Jesus Christ alone. Because of the promise of Christmas, Linus drops his blankets. Will we be inspired to do the same? Can we trust in what Jesus' birth proclaims? Fear not. It sure seems like the Peanuts gang had lost sight of this love and this trust. We see instead a desire for these material Christmas gifts, these securities, these little empires to store up and keep for themselves. Sally writes a letter to Santa and says, if the gifts she wants are too complicated, Santa could just send her money. How about 10s and 20s? Lucy laments that she always gets a bunch of toys and clothes, but what she really wants is real estate. And the older I get, the funnier that line becomes. And even our friend Snoopy had gone commercial, winning first prize in the holiday lights and display contest. Win money, money, money! 
But do you know what happens at the end of A Charlie Brown Christmas? At the end of the movie, the crew gathers around this seemingly forgotten, patchy little Christmas tree, and they start to add a little care here, and a little care there, an ornament, a strand of lights. They wrap it up in a blanket. It turns out that it's not such a bad little tree after all. It turns out Linus tells us that it just needed a little love. Maybe we just need a little love at Christmas time. Maybe there's a sad little tree inside all of us that tell us that we're unworthy of God's love. Or a voice inside of our heads that tells us that we're blockheads, just like Charlie Brown's friends say to him. Maybe we need to let the love of God reveal to us that we are so much more than this to God. Maybe we need to let the word of God remind us that we are special and beautiful and worthwhile no matter what the world throws at us, no matter our circumstances, at Christmas time or any other time. At the end of the movie, the peanuts take the time and the care to bolster up this unassuming little Christmas tree and give it meaning and value. God, too, takes the time to bolster up the unassuming among us and give them and give us meaning and value. The good news of the birth of Christ is being, being delivered to shepherds seems right in line with the character of God, a God who loves and cares for the lowly and the unassuming when it seems that nobody else will. These shepherds in the first century would have been outcasted and forgotten in their communities. No one in polite society wanted to keep company with shepherds. They were dirty, they were poor, they were illiterate, and they were even thought to be dishonorable to their communities because they couldn't be at home at night to protect the women and the children in their communities, in their care. Yet it is to these humble, forgotten, unlikely shepherds that the angels proclaim the good news. It is to these shepherds who are among the first to meet the Savior for the whole world. The news of Jesus' birth is for all people, not only for the powerful and for the elite, but for all, and especially the lowly and the outcast. In the Messiah's humble birth and in the shepherds being the ones to receive and to share the good news, we see God coming near to the lowly and lifting them up. For God so loved the world. For God so loved these poor, dirty shepherds. For God so loved the teenage mother of Jesus. For God so loved the nameless of the empire. 
For God so loved the forgotten people right here in our own community. For God so loved you and God so loved me. This is the good news of great joy for all the people. The Savior is born for us even these many centuries later, and his birth is still good news for all the people. He comes to bring peace on earth by drawing us into relationship with God and into relationship with one another. He draws us into a relationship that carries the power to cast out our fears. His reign continues to steep into our world wherever the lowly are lifted up, wherever the outcasts are welcomed, wherever the hungry are fed, wherever the marginalized are sheltered and clothed, wherever the captives are set free, wherever relationships find restoration. Jesus' reign, bolstered by a holy and a perfect love, continues wherever the good news is proclaimed, wherever sins are forgiven, wherever lives are transformed. And as we celebrate the birth of Christ today and this weekend, may we look forward with anticipation to the day when his reign of justice, mercy, and peace will come in all of its fullness and majesty. Amen.